Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 21, Synology. Ready to talk about Synology, Jay? I am ready to talk about Synology. We thought this would be a good topic to dive into because the question has come up a few times and it's people looking for an easier solution, a turnkey solution, something that still let you maintain control of all your data but does not require the complexities of setting up some of the more advanced tools out there. Um, and we have a previous episode where we talk about NextCloud. So you can go back to that. And uh, some of the things we'll talk about, you could say, can you do this with NextCloud? And I would say, yeah, but with the complexities that come with setting up NextCloud. I'm not to discourage people from setting up NextCloud. I'm here to talk to the people who may be discouraged about setting up NextCloud, like looking for yep. an easier solution. And ultimately, uh, I think Synology fits that bill pretty good. So it it's really uh, something me and Jay have both used. I've extensively used it in business. Uh, we actually have some Synology applications we use for my business, but we uh, actively consult on these. So there's something I'm very familiar with. And uh, it's uh, gonna be a fun topic. Lots to talk about there, but we should probably talk about our sponsor first because, you know, got to keep the lights on and keep buying gotta, Synologies. And we got to keep it hosted, too, because that's Yeah, got to keep the hosting up. Hosted. Yeah, absolutely. So the Node has been a sponsor of Learn Linux TV for a long time, is now sponsoring this particular podcast. And the code that we'll have in the description will get you $100 in free credit towards your new account. That's good for 60 days. Uh, definitely check that. That's if I remember correctly. But anyway, you can use that $100, $100 credit to set up NextCloud if you want to go ahead and do that yep. or just um, roll out Debian 11 or, you know, that just came out recently too. So there's there's definitely all kinds of things you could do. There's a marketplace, one-click apps. It's a great service. Yeah, great service. And if you're listening to this podcast, it was literally downloaded from Linode servers. Well, maybe not by time you listen because it could have been downloaded and then cached by another server. But originally we posted it on Linode. So yep. this is literally bought to you by Linode. And of course, that's where we host both the podcast and the homelab.show website. They're one and the same for us because uh, we do offer this in uh, standard downloadable format. So if you don't want to use some third party apps or things like that. So me and Jay got in that discussion uh, the other day. We may do some more videos on that topic because we care a lot about you owning your data and being yep. in control of it. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring up Synology. Now, yep. let's get a qualifier out right away because now we are called the Home Lab Show, not the Open Source Home Lab Show. Although right. we talk a lot about open source, this is a product that is a mixed blend. Not all these applications are 100% free. Some of them are developed by the folks at Synology. And Synology, although it does run on Linux and, uh, well, a very customized version of Linux that they use, but that being said, it's not 100% open source. For those of you wondering, we just want to make sure if that's a deal breaker for you, well, then the deal has been broken. <laughs> then you don't need yeah. to listen any further, uh, but at least we've covered that topic and got that out of the way. I still think it's a very trustworthy product. Synology has been a good platform. Their updates and security and attention to detail has been good. There are competing products in the market that I would say, I'm not going to get too off on a tangent, but I'll throw QNAP under the bus for this one. Um, QNAP is kind of a competitor and people ask me about it, but QNAP's history of hard-coded credentials, bad security policies, and lack of willingness to fix some of their product, or at least very slow to roll out fixes, has not made me really want to endorse their product. So I'll get that out of the way as well, because there's at least going to be somewhere someone commenting going, but what about? <laughs> and I get it. Yep. And, and the thing about Synology not being open source, I mean, that doesn't bother me personally. I always prefer open source, but sometimes you just want to get stuff done. And then in, in the home lab, 
I think it's a mix of different things. I mean, primarily, yeah, you're running you know servers in your home, but our sponsor for this podcast is Linode. They're a cloud sponsor. This isn't a cloud uh, podcast, but these services help benefit and boost Home Lab because you can have a Synology backing up your Proxmox, or you could have a VPN service in the cloud that has access or that you have a link to your Home Lab in some way. So having a mix of the components that matter to you and each and every listener makes his or her own decision as far as what components to include. So um, I would say, just like Tom said, it's a turnkey solution. I've used it. I have one here in the studio. So um, yeah. there's a lot to say about Synology and we will be saying a lot about Synology. Yeah. So we're saying a lot about it. Yep. Um, one of the, fir the first things is which Synology should you choose? Uh, the... Synology NAS selector is really slick. You can kind of go through it, and this is available on their website. You just type in Synology NAS selector, Google it. Uh, we can put a link in the show notes. Not that I think it's hard to find. But mm -hmm. we have a RAID calculator, NVR selector. We'll get to that later. Um, and a NAS selector. And it, it kind of lets you go through and pick what you're going to use it for. And once you start uh diving into it you'll go okay i need this or i need that i need this many drives i need this many speed i need to run some virtual servers i need to use it as a storage target and then you can start going into all right this is what will work for me and i like the fact that they kind of help you guide you along the way because they do have a large broad product offering and all their product with a minimal exception, almost all of their products run the DSM software. And we're in a time of transition from DSM 6 to 7. DSM 7 is available on quite a few models, but there's still a few models it's not available on. But generally speaking, Synology says it'll be rolled out later. I think it's third quarter of this year, 2021, that they'll have it for all their models. So we'll just say by 2022, DSM 7 should be available for all Synologies. Functionally, though, the base operating system versus the uh, components that run on it are still separate things. The components are still being updated for people running the older DSM, uh, but Synology is very upfront about their entire lifecycle process. It's well-documented, so you can figure out like, hey, will this Synology be supported for and how many, how long will it be supported? They have a pretty good lifecycle on that. And I am going to be updating to DSM-7 right now because oh. I just pulled up my Synology and it said it's available, so I clicked the button. So let's see what happens. Yeah, and now one of the cool things, the Synology, uh, and when he says click the button, it is very friendly web interface. The web interface is not like other web interfaces. It is not just a series of web menus. This is something I think that attracted me right away to Synology when I seen that. Uh, it works like your, it looks like a remote desktop application is how I describe it. You open up the web page, you log in, but you're dragging windows around in a UI that has a well, I'm going to say less Windows and more like a Linux one because it's got the uh, what you like a start button, if you will, a yep. a menu button that starts from the top corner that you pull down and you tear through all your applications. So being able to see all that is kind of a nice feature because it doesn't uh, make it harder where you're digging through menus. It's very searchable where you can look for context for the different things that are loaded on there. So from first experience with Synology is the UI and it's relatively easy to use. This is one of the first big reasons people like it because they feel at home. They're going, hey, look, it's not just a web interface. It's kind of like running a little desktop interface with Windows that can be resized and maximized and minimized and dragged around. And so you yeah. can see what's running. And it's fast. I mean, it's not slow. Like I, I remember, you know, what was it, 10 or 15 years ago, people were trying and experimenting with putting like almost like OS UIs in a browser. And they it took you'd click the start button. It just takes so long for the start button to open up. But 
Synology is fast and it's like some kind of Kung Fu. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's like, it's almost like having XFCE inside your browser. Yeah. Then that would be a great way to describe it. If you, for those of you that are already running Linux stuff, it is very XFCE like in there. Simple. Yeah. Now, Let's start talking about the applications themselves because the, the hardware is nice and I will fully disclose because I've commented a few times and I've done reviewed their hardware. If you search because of the popularity of another YouTube channel that he ranted properly about a problem he had with a 2014 version or 2015 model Synology where they were known, they had a run of models that had some power supply failures. And I can't remember the name of the channel off the top of my head. He does all the uh, gaming reviews, Gamers Nexus. Anyways, he did that, and and it's funny because it almost is like when he complained about it because his channel was so big with like a million subscribers, a lot of people kept saying that. That was an issue with a model of Synology, but it has not been my history, and Synology has since not built their power supplies in the same way. Actually, a lot of them have an external brick now until you get to uh, larger ones, so it's been less of an issue uh, for the power supply problems. But at least I'll address it because I know people will bring that up. Now let's jump into the applications right away because that's where once you've gotten through what NAS you want, that it's got a cool looking UI, but what can it do? And the first one on that list is going to be active backup and that active backup and then Google active backup, Office 365, active backup for your computers. The, this is a really cool feature that Synology has is the ability to, and this is something we use it for. We actually back up all of our, we're a G Suite company, so we back up our G Suite. For some of our clients, they are using Office 365. We make local copies on their Synology of their Office 365 system. Now let's get it back down to the home lab people that probably don't have a G Suite or Office 365 account. Yes, you can back up all the computers on your network. And it works really well. Matter of fact, the uh, we use it for some of our clients that need really simplistic on-prem backups that want just to have it available in a very simple way that has a complete self-service portal that you can set up for your users. Yes, that's just a feature you load on Synology. And uh, this came up in some of the questions that people had uh, sent in our contact form, which by the way, we do have a contact form on a website. If you have some Q&A, we're working up to a Q&A episode. But the question was, you know, how do we do solid backups to help protect me from ransomware? And provided the ransomware operator didn't get the same password to log into your Synology, then if your computer gets encrypted, Synology does, and I've done videos on this, full backups to your machine, incremental backups to your machine, and full bare metal restores. So if your machine for uh, reasons of external threat actors or reasons of hardware breaks sometimes, whatever that reason is that your computer is no longer functioning because the data was gone on it, having the Synology backup and a backup strategy is great and also it's next in yesterday to happiness. It does not have, um, if you watch my video I did on it, you'll find that, oh, that's it. Yeah, it's not like some of the other backup utilities where, all right, here's about 70 steps, lots of instructions, server tools to load. And uh, this is, you know, big feather and a half for Synology of making it easy. It was one of the reasons we recommend it to some of the smaller businesses that kind of want to self-manage things or home users that go, I really want something to back up, but I don't really want to put my data on some recurring amount of, service fees that come with putting it in a cloud somewhere. Now we do recommend still backing up offsite, whatever offsite means to you. But uh, yeah, Synology Active Backup is a pretty slick system for that. Have you tested it all, Jay? I have not actually, because I have my own backup system, but I was just thinking like I should probably do a video on like backing up uh, Linux to Synology anyway, because um, you know a lot of Linux distributions come with something like Deja Dupe or a number of other 
backup clients. So I think it'd be kind of fun just to point one of those backup clients at Synology and kind of see how it um, operates. Yeah, the it's like I said, it's one of the really killer apps I would say is on there that makes yep. me pretty happy. Now, once you've put all this data on there, that's where the next step is hyper backup. NAS is not a backup. RAID is not a backup. Just because you have a bunch of drives in there does not mean that catastrophic failure cannot occur. And that's where Synology has another tool called hyper backup. And this is something that some of the other NAS systems people have asked me, like, how do I just create like a copy? I need all this data backed up to another one. And Synology makes that relatively easy with hyper backup because they let you choose targets. That target can be another Synology. So if you have two Synologies and you can set up VPNs and build, put these synologies at two different locations and back them up to each other. Matter of fact, this is uh, my cousin does this because she's not someone who likes the cloud a lot. So she says, you know what? I care about where all my data is. I like understanding it. And I happen to have two locations I can use. So, uh, you know, setting up those backups, not to land somewhere, but, for those of you that only have one location, they do offer, they call it Synology, I believe it's called C2 Cloud. I've done a review on it. And uh, they do have their own backup service. But please note, for those of you that don't trust the cloud, you're right not to trust it. And Synology offers encryption before send. That's an important aspect of any backup service uh, should offer that. And Synology is included in that. So if you do want to back it up offsite, it does have encrypt before sent, which is great. That's uh, <laughs> you should do that no matter what service you're talking about. That's so what we, you want. We, uh, me and Jay talked about that in some of the other videos throughout this thing. It's always encrypt it before you send. That way, whoever the cloud search writer is has nothing but an encrypted blob of data, and you maintain your keys uh, to back it up. But Hyper Backup is a great service uh, to back up your Synology with a lot of target options. Then you can even target non-Synology NASs. I got to do probably a video on that because me and well, there's one little hang up that we'll comment on is <clears throat> the Synology R-Sync was not as simple. Um, it's there. Mm -hmm. It exists, uh, but it does have, you'll have to do a little Googling if you want to use R-Sync as a transport method to synchronize it with other NAS devices that do speak or Linux, general Linux servers or anything that speaks R-Sync. Synology's a little unusual in that they didn't have the simplest rsync set up not that they tried to make it difficult i just think they didn't put a lot of effort at making it easy but it does support all your usual suspects of uh just a file server which you know it's funny i looked down my list here i never mentioned it it's by the way it's a file server if you if you didn't know yeah, right <laughs> that, that goes and, yeah and I, I was looking through um well actually first of all the upgrade was successful it finished it took like it, it said it was going to take 10 minutes i think it was probably closer to five mm-hmm and um, the UI changed quite a bit. It's still the same for the most part. It's more polished. It, it's more polished. It looks more OS-like, if that was even possible. Um, slightly more OS-like, at least. And um, it was pretty smooth. And then I'm looking through the backup client, and I mentioned Deja Dupe, but um, the Active Backup for Business plugin actually supports Ubuntu, Debian, Fedora, Red Hat, and CentOS as well. So yeah, that's so pretty cool. It's, it's pretty slick there, but um, a couple of the basics that we did mention in the beginning, like I said, it is a standard Samba file server that does tie to, it has its own directory management, but you can also tie it to, for those of you that are using Active Directory, it will tie into that. It'll also act as an Active Directory server. So if you're looking at a Windows replacement, that isn't our feature. I don't know why I didn't have that in a list here. I guess it's because we don't often set it up. Um, yeah. That way, usually from a business standpoint, we're usually tying it to someone's Active Directory uh, more so than we are setting it up as an Active Directory server. But it does have kind of both options in there, which I think is really slick. Yeah, there's so many options. I don't think it's possible to cover everything, honestly. Like we're just going to cover the things we use the most, but there's going to be so many things because there's just um, there's a bunch of features in here. 
Yeah. So definitely um, that is on there. Though next is Synology Photos. And this is uh, a topic that is coming at from, from uh, the world of Android and the world of iPhone, for any of you who follow the news. First, Google has decided to up prices on Google Photos. And of course, there's always the privacy concerns that you have of, do you want Google to have all your photos that your phone takes? And our phones are pretty much our cameras. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. That is primarily with uh, most people, not everyone, of course, there's always enthusiasts who have cam real cameras still, but uh, the phones become the camera. That being said, we now have iPhone and all their announcements that we won't get off topic on. But yes, that iPhone now on device offers uh, photo scanning and people, of course, wondering what's next. Where will that go from there? It feels kind of privacy invading. But then where do you store all that? Do you store it in the iCloud system? Or if you're on Google, do you use a Google Photos system, which, of course, does work on iPhone as well? But then that's where Synology, and if, if there's something I'm going to say I see persisting through the way Synology attacks things or projects they go after and develop is going to be ones that make people happy to switch away from very popular cloud services. And that's where the Synology photo system is. Um, and this is where there's a split. There's the older Synology photos, and then there's the newer version that comes with DSM-7. They used to have uh, two different softwares that are in DSM-6. Once you go to DSM-7, it's just one piece of software, but your data can migrate between there. But it's kind of cool. This does have a phone app and does have the ability for you to upload from your computer. So if you, you don't have to use the phone app, but it allows you to have your own photo storage automatically synced and backed up very much in the way that you get it with other commercial cloud providers. And for a lot of people it, just want to maintain control or not have the risk of putting all their information in the cloud or all the privacy concerns that may come with it. This is a cool option and Synology's done a nice job. I'm not going to say it's as full featured as you're going to get with Google Photos because Google Photos, well, they've got Google's got the resources to build a really extensive product, but I think they cover the major features of photo organization, along with done on the system, uh, AI recognition. What I mean by that, and I, it's just basically some machine learning that recognizes faces, cats and dogs. And so you can look for some of your pet photos. You can look for uh, some of the things in it. And I think this is a great feature because this is something I actually do. I'm still full admitted for anyone who's uh, haven't watched any of my live stream. Yes, I do still use Google photos for things. And I'm always amazed that I can type in different objects and Google Photos ability to index it. Synology is starting to add that. <clears throat> and it's uh, all going to be done on device for that indexing. Downside is the ability to index massive indexes of their uh, photos, which actually, yes, someone said it's in DSM-7, I believe it's called Synology Moments. Um, they, they've changed the name a little bit, but the, the application is the essentially the same. Um, <clears throat> the ability to do that does stay on device. So any of the recognition is doing at least is done on there with that being detrimental though to people who, like me who have 75,000 photos we're loading on it. So <laughs> that's, well, yeah. It's quite a few photos. And, yeah. yeah. I, I've been taking digital photos forever. So this, this goes back all the way to the nineties when I had a floppy disk camera, I still have all those photos. So um, yeah. I have quite the library. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably good for Linux switchers too that are just starting out because one of the biggest questions is how do I get photos off my Android or iOS device to my Linux computer? So if it's automatically syncing to Synology, that just makes it easy. Pretty much yeah. they're all there. Just just download them from Synology if you want to see them. Yeah, it's it's a like I said, for a lot of people, especially the home users, this is an important aspect that I think because you're looking for a solution that's easy and I know with some of the other NASAs, there are several open source projects 
um, that are a little bit more complicated. Some of them have made it easier by building Docker images that you can just pull down, but it's not as really, it's not going to be as, hey, click the app. It loads an app that's from an app store on the phone. So from a base user who's not is really deep into the technical, it's an easy way to get started. And uh, it, it's better to do it this way than in, for, in, from a privacy standpoint than it is to just surrender all your data to cloud if that's what you're uncomfortable with. So yep. something to think about there. And speaking of Docker, this is not a part I'm super familiar with. I think Jay's looked at it maybe yeah. a little bit more than me. Uh, they actually have Docker support in here, and it pulls right from Docker Hub. Yeah, it's great. I, I love the the UI integration is just so on point because I actually kind of feel like it makes Docker, like the concept of Docker, easier for people that aren't already familiar with it. Like they just have a container they want to run, and they don't understand the internals of it it's basically as easy as just adding an image. So you just download the image and then I'm actually looking at it right now. I was playing with it some time ago and I'm looking at it again. Um, you just download a container from the registry and then you run it. You could choose to have it automatically installed, or excuse me, automatically start. And you could also create a, you know, a file store for it. So that way, um, as people know in our listening audience that Docker isn't stateful by default, but you just attach a volume to it or some kind of storage to it. And since, you know, Synology is a storage device, you know, it's a NAS, that's what it does. So you could just point a folder right to your Docker container and that's where its stateful data goes. And I think it makes Docker like extremely easy, especially for those of you out there that you want to take advantage of Docker, but you're not necessarily trying to get a Docker certification. You just want to use it. You don't want to know how the underpinnings work too much. Um, it's like a turnkey Docker solution. I have heard complaints that it's older or too old or not too old, but it's um, they're not, it's not as up to date as if you would download it from Docker. I think that's kind of like true of a lot of things. So um, you weigh the pros and the cons, if there's any features that newer versions of Docker has that this one doesn't, there could be an issue there, but then again, I'm running um, DSM seven now. So maybe that's no longer an issue anymore. I'll have to dive back into it. Yeah. Now I'll also throw in there. Um, it does have, and I have used this, the virtual machine manager provided you get a Synology fast enough to handle that with enough yeah. memory in it. Um, and a lot of the Synology models, and this varies a bit, um, do have a slot in them to add either more memory or also an additional slot for adding a network interface card, or they also offer, and it, Synology has a cool, uh, one of the ones I reviewed, I found, I complained about it only having one slot because it didn't have any caching options. And uh, I didn't realize that Synology now has another offering. It's not cheap, but you can buy a card that has a combo cache and network interface on it. So if you need an extra interface on it for like 10 gig and you need caching, they have a dual card to solve the one slot problem. I thought was kind of novel. Um, and there are, when you're, you know, I didn't mention too much. When you dive into Synology, they do have caching strategies uh, that you can use for when you're setting them up. Like you can put M2 drives in along with the spinning drives. So there's a, there's a few different options um, on there for that function. It's also important to note, if you're going to do something like virtual machines, obviously putting that on faster storage that you may have uh, in the machine matters quite a bit. So that's... the. The virtual machine manager is not bad. It's not as robust as some of your larger products that we've talked about, like XCPNG or Proxbox. But um, hey, if you just need something to run a couple VMs, it's I, I'm going to say it's solid. It's not something you'd want to or we would really use for running a business and let's stick all of our servers on there. But um, I think for home users, that's kind of my feeling on it. And we have a couple of businesses that run some small VM because it was a convenient place to run it without having to load hypervisor anywhere else. So it's it's 
another tool in the toolbox, maybe not the strongest one, but hey, it's cool. It doesn't cost you anything exactly, but it is. And I say exactly because once you scale up and you want some of the higher end features where you tie uh, virtual machines to several computers, that does have a license fee. Most everything on Synology, with the exception of the virtual machine manager, and the next thing I'm going to talk about, don't have license fees. The other fee that is in Synology that does have license, but it's also really, in my opinion, probably worth the license fee, um, is the surveillance station. Now, I've done a few videos on surveillance station, and we've definitely deployed a lot of these as surveillance stations. Surveillance station is Synology's tool for managing camera systems. And it's kind of novel that they have such a, I'm, I think at one time they told me it's like over 2000 camera models supported. Um, it's a long list. They have a camera selector. And if for some reason you found some obscure camera that wasn't in their 2000 list of cameras, uh, you can also go in and say, all right, I just want to set up with a standard protocol at OMVIF and talk to that camera. Now, surveillance station, you always get a minimum of two licenses, but some certain dedicated models, I think standard come with four licenses. So you can always try out surveillance station yourself without having to pay any license fees. And the licenses aren't that expensive. They're also perpetual. They do not have renewals on them. You buy them. They're also transferable. If you get a different Synology, you can transfer those licenses to another. But for people that want to have an all-in-one box that say, does all the things we talked about, manages your photos, manages your backups, manages uh, your Docker and virtual machine things you're messing with. It also, provided you have enough resources, can be your surveillance for your home. And it's kind of a nice home surveillance system and it's nice and included in the box. Yep. Another thing I think we probably should mention real quick is ButterFS. Oh, yes. Because that is one of the, one, one of my favorite features of Synology and um, what reminded me of that is someone in our live stream asked about BitRot protection, which is, you know, what TrueNAS has with CFS. Um, Synology has that, too. You, you just have to choose ButterFS as the file system when you set it up. But as long as you do that and you enable the scrubbing, then, yeah, it'll do that for you. And that's yes. another benefit. It, um, and ButterFS has a few flaws. And this is where I've actually talked directly with the Synology engineers. And I thought this was kind of cool. So when we talk about ZFS, like we have when we talk about other products, ZFS is a combination of directly talking to the hard drives and hardware and being a file system. It's kind of very unique in that way. And ButterFS can do similar to that. The challenge with ButterFS, as I understand it, and as the engineers explained to me, that the ButterFS has a little bit um, more of a rough time dealing with the hardware directly. So Synology is actually using Linux RAID on the RAID side of it for the covering the hardware, but then using ButterFS for the file system to provide the features like Jay said with the bit rot and things like that. So you still get, it's kind of a good best of both worlds scenario. So they have the different Linux RAID. They actually also have a flash RAID strategy. So if you're using all SSDs, I'm, I actually have a, a demo unit that we're going to be uh, setting up and I'll be doing a video on that they do have their flash storage type of RAID formatting too. But that's all handled at a hardware level by the Synology app. And then ButterFS sits on top of that to provide file integrity checking. So I, I think they did a good job of blending the best of both worlds together to make a platform that I still feel is reliable. But see, the very first thing we talked about in this video, which was NAS is not a backup, so you still need right. things to back everything up. So um, 
it's still important to have a duplicate of all of your data. Just don't the same, you know, there's a lot we've talked about so far uh, and there's a few more things to cover, but that all has to be duplicated in another uh, box. So. <laughs> yep. That's an important point. Yeah. All right. A couple more things that are really worth talking about. And I like that they um, unapologetically <laughs> called it Synology Drive. So Google Drive is a popular synchronization tool and Synology Drive is a very similar popular synchronization tool. Synology Office and uh, Synology Notes. And, you know, I guess they call it Google Keep, but it's the, the note taping app, note taking, note keeping application. Synology's done a good job, once again, for people that want to maintain all their data. Uh, their Office application does allow you to collab with people, does allow you through a web interface to share a document and work on it. Now, I have not extensively used this, but I've had a lot of people tell me they like it. It's not something we run as much in business, but a few people have said this is just a great tool. I've toyed with it and set it up. I just haven't used it at scale and said, this is pretty nice. And you can, of course, import your docx files and your Excel files and store them on the NAS server. Um, and then the drive is just a synchronization tool. And once again, you're looking at ways you want to synchronize and share files. So this is a cool feature that Synology has. And all of this is facilitated on the back end by the ability for Synology to, without opening any ports in your firewall, using their Quick Connect feature. The Quick Connect will create an SSL connection and via Synology offer a bridging so you can share things outside of your house without having to set up HA proxy, without having to set up uh, certificates. They'll do the certificate management, they'll do the security management, and then allow you to uh, have remote access to your Synology, which also means when I say collaborate or share documents or share files, I mean not just inside your network, but the opportunity is there. Good news for those of you going, wait a minute, Synology has a bridging option. It's off by default. You have to enable it. By default, Synology does not allow sharing of the data outside the network. So I, I the defaults are always the scary thing in many things because few people change defaults. But if you want to share, you go in there and you give your Synology Quick Connect a name like Tom's Synology Server. And then the URL becomes like quickconnect.tom Synology Server. They create a special URL for your device so you can access it, so you can log into it, so you can put it into applications when you are outside your network and don't want to use VPN. So they do have all these options that kind of tie off getting all this tied together on there. So I think that's a, a pretty cool feature that they have on there. I don't, have you looked at that one, AJ? Yes, I have, and I've used it. it. It works great. Like, it's just I created a name, and it asked me when I first set it up. So, like you said, it's, um, you know, it let me know that it could do that. It wasn't just going to turn that on for me. It asked me if I wanted it, and then I said yes because I wanted to try it out. So I gave it a name um, to create the URL. And then from that point forward, I I think I, I have tried it a few times outside my office. I mean, Honestly, in the age of the pandemic currently, we're, we don't get out of the house as often as we would like to. So I don't have as many opportunities to check it outside of the house. But I did get an opportunity to try it a couple of times. And it was just it was just easy. It was just like, like a turnkey solution for that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and kind of, uh, and I only because a couple of people have mentioned it in here, is the... Uh, the tail scale, which I just recently did a video on, that is a plugin that's available in Synology. Uh, it is a app that allows you to have remote connectivity um, while you're outside of your network. And it is, a, it is an option in Synology to load that. Synology has two splits in their apps. So far, most everything we've talked about, I think actually everything we talked about are Synology apps. There are a couple third-party options. And Synology um, 
basically companies approach them and it's kind of like a built-in app store. Uh, they, they list them out. There's like a split and it says, all right, these are third party apps and Synology. I do know this from people that have asked me questions about it. Synology doesn't support the third party apps in terms of if you need technical support on there, cause they do offer support. They support their apps specifically. We've had help with, but if you have trouble with third party app, they kind of tell you contact a third party developer on there. And we've ran into that once or twice before and it turned out that a third party developer just didn't have an updated they had updated a back end but not a front end version for something we were using a long time ago but right. tail scale is an option on there and another really popular one is a uh, plex of course so we've all heard of plex and plex is a third party option uh i someone told me there was some issues when it first was released with dsm7 i did not experience those but i also had it installed prior to my upgrade from six to seven but mm -hmm. to my knowledge those issues have been resolved i am using it very fine with another update that came with it uh plex is just plex i mean yeah, yeah. We all know we got to, if you have all your media somewhere, you got to have an easy way to view it. Plex is definitely one of the popular projects out there. And yes, it is supported in Synology. So the same system that can back everything up, that can share your office documents, that can also be your surveillance for your house, can also play your movies on your TV. <laughs> Do you know how the transcoding works? Like how good how good that works on Plex? Um, I'm really not sure. Uh, because most of the ones I have don't need to be. Mm -hmm. So they're they're natively going their native resolution to my TV while I watch those movies. So it's probably the best way to do it, because if you don't have the transcode, then why do it? But uh, yeah. yeah, I'm kind of curious. I guess it probably depends on which model you go with, because they all have different CPUs and different. Yeah, I don't think there's any particular pass through for it on there for high speed, because I know if I'm not mistaken, isn't there a way to do GPU transcoding with Plex? That's a good question. I've never had to do it, but then again, I also have it on a um, higher end uh, hypervisor, so you know there's that. But I know some people are are able to run it on a Raspberry Pi if they can um, minimize the transcoding. So I'm sure it probably works fine here too. But that's, um, I guess, as long as you have your media in the proper format, it shouldn't be a problem. And I guess I could argue that people should be doing that anyway if they're setting up uh, Plex for their media, just making sure their media is in the proper format or the best format. But um, I think that's a good fit for people that, you know, they could afford a Synology, but they can't afford like a, a Plex server and then another server and like setting up an entire rack. You have this one thing that can, at least until you save up money for other things, be all the things all in one box. Yeah. And that's kind of the point, you know, as I said in the beginning, if you're looking for something very turnkey, Synology fits that turnkey and also fits that put it all in one box and if you get some of their higher end rack station ones it sounds like a lot to buy one of those and by the way they're not cheap but they do have models that have redundant power supplies and everything else but now you kind of have a singular box that does a lot of services on there and now uh, that may be just a better fit for someone and for some of our small business customers they've really found it a fit because they have you know some of them have the desktop models and one of the yeah. neat things about the intercompatibility of Synology is the fact that when you have a mixed environment of Synology, some are the RS models, which stands for rack stations, that are gonna be your large models, that hyper backup target can be the smallest DS218, which is a little tiny two drive system that I think is like under $200. The same software is running on them. So there's a lot of interconnectivity that will work between these for functional backups and things like that. Because if your storage target, as long as the storage target has enough storage, 
you can run a low-powered Synology to back up your high-powered Synology that runs the actual services. Um, it's obviously not as good as having a whole redundant system, but at least all your data is backed up. It's usually the more critical part. And then when, when you replace or you know, have a problem with the main one and you repair it, you and if that repair requires you to restore, you can just pull from that smaller Synology and put all the data back on the bigger Synology that handles all the processing. So it, it gives you some uh, opportunities there. Now, one of the other things I'll talk about, I think it's probably the last one on my list here, is going to be storage target. Storage target as in virtualization. This is something I've been testing a lot with Synology, and I have been pleasantly surprised by this. If you're using VMware, if you're using, uh, I've not tried it with Hyper-V, so I don't really do Hyper-V, but I use a lot of XCP and G, you can choose Synology to be a storage target, and I've actually been shocked with just how fast it is. It does support iSCSI. It supports... Um, NFS and it supports it at speed. I, I'm pleasantly surprised with all the testing we've been doing with even the smaller Synologies, the fact that they're able to do this. Now I've done a video, for example, and this is something to toss out there. And uh, Jay being a gamer understands this challenge that comes with it. My son has a five terabyte iSCSI, um, a five or eight, maybe eight terabyte, eight terabyte iSCSI uh, attached to his Windows computer because games and he doesn't want to remove any games because I don't know, he plays every game for five minutes and that would be a challenge because it takes so long to download them. One of the things that's cool about iSCSI is you can attach it to a Windows machine and that can be your Steam library. And now you have this huge drive attached. Now, the reason you don't do this as a share and you do it as an iSCSI, um, you can do it as a share, except some games go, no, I won't install on a share. When you do it as an iSCSI because it's a block device presented to Windows, it's a block device, just like SATA drives or NVMe drives attached. Therefore, you're able to get really fast connections uh, for small files because of the way it's presented as block over uh, network transport, which is how iSCSI works. And if you're lucky enough to uh, have or have the time to invest into a 10 gig network, which Shay's recently upgraded to, uh, yep. you can really get some high speed connections from your computer to the Synology, provided it, it has the backend to handle it and have a really fast, huge, huge Steam libraries attached to your computer. <laughs> that sounds amazing to me. Um, just, just thinking about the possibilities there, because I, I mean, every time there's a Steam sale, it's like my library gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm already at the point, I think a lot of other people are too, that there's not enough time in a lifetime to finish your entire Steam library. So just, you know, like I said, play five minutes of everything. Yeah. Now, um, the last topic, because I know a few questions came up on this, will be the network um, connectivity. Most of the Synologies have a minimum of two, but sometimes four and five network uh, interfaces on them. I say five, which sounds odd, but it's what they are is you'll have four one gig connections and then you'll have a 10 gig connection next to it. So this varies by models. They're slowly rolling out and getting into the 10 gig game. This is where the expansion cards come in. And I've not had trouble and I haven't extensively tested this of uh, third party card support to my knowledge. Synology has uh, supports common. It's a short list, but common third party cards. And it's be it, it's far as I know, I don't think they plan to discontinue that, but I, I can't really say. Most of the time, we um, for compatibility, if we're selling something to a customer, we'll order it to spec with the Synology parts because we need ultimate compatibility. But my understanding is the Synology will support non-Synology cards. Um, you know, I should probably check. I'm almost positive my machine has a 10 gig card in it. and my, I'm running DSM-7. I just have an Intel card in mine. So there, there is some availability options on there. I should try that on mine too. Yeah. Um, 
and I will give a shout out too if you haven't seen his channel, uh, The Digital Life, I believe. Uh, he did some videos on Tailscale and uh, a few other tech things. So we have another fellow content creator in here. I've, I, if, I, I, can't, I don't want to click on it right now to confirm that it's the same person I think it is, but I've seen people giving a shout out. So, hey, awesome. I've watched a few of the videos. Yep. I think he did a video on uh, Tailscale as well. So um, nice, nice to see some of that. Yay. Um, a few people mentioned here in the comments, and this is true. The and I have, I do have, and I'll leave a link to actually. I have a whole lot of Snowsy tutorials already done on my YouTube channel for those who just want to look at how things work. Uh, Snowsy does have uh, network bonding options that are relatively simple for bonding all the uh, interfaces together. So uh, it supports VLANs. It has all the advanced level support that you need if you have a more complex network. So you can bond things to certain. Uh, cards, certain interfaces, or bond them together uh, and they have different strategies for that. So, Oh, and someone said uh, the digital life also has some good videos on Linux security. So cool. Me and me and Jay are saying hi to you. Feel free to reach out to us. So. Yeah, feel free to collaborate with us too. Just yeah, saying. we're always looking for, we always like people in our space. Uh, it's always welcome to see more people that are uh, diving into some of these topics. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. Um, I think I covered as much as we can. I mean, because I could go more into the business topics analogy, and I think it goes outside the topic of the channel. But yeah. you know, is there a central management system? Yes, there's ways you can centrally manage uh, your clients. They they have some of those options. Once again, they're opt in, not opt out. So if you wanted to have a central dashboard where we can look at all of our client synologies or at least get data feeds from not login data, but like data for uptime, data for how much storage is left, alerts, they do have some central management features that Synology is rolling out. Uh, so there are some cool business application usage as well. And maybe you are a home user and you'd like to see a, you want your data into some type of cloud management system. But as I stated, this is opt in implicit, not we put your data in there. And unless you tell us not to, we're, we're going to keep collecting it. Synology's, uh seems to so far be a good steward of privacy and not opting everybody into everything. But that's right now in August of 2021. Don't hold my words against me if uh, some nefarious people take over and decide, you know what we need? Data. <laughs> we need QR codes, QR codes, all the things. If you start seeing QR codes in a project. Uh, yeah, that's when you know it's going downhill, man. <laughs> you know, some corporate meeting went awry when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Any any further notes on this analogy? I think we got it all. I think that's it. I mean, there's so many more things to talk about, but I think as far as our target audience is concerned, we we pretty much covered that. And yeah. you're going to have some videos, some additional ones on there. I, I have one. I'll have more. I have a few Synology related videos on my backlog, but um, I'll get to those as soon as I'm done with uh, done editing the 16 episode Proxmox series, which wrapped filming, by the way, filming's done. Maybe as soon as I get those edited out the door, I could start doing some uh, videos on Synology again. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So I mean, I'd love because I have uh, confused myself and broke Docker <laughs> when I was playing with Synology. That's kind of why I was like leaning towards, hey, Jay, have you used it? Because honestly, yeah. I don't. I, it's not something I use. I had something working and I had something very broken the next time. So um, <laughs> there's there's definitely more learning to do on it because it's a pretty extensive platform. Uh, I'll also yeah. mention, someone said it in here, if you go over to Level 1 Text, Wendell's covered Synology as well. So if you look, um, he's talked about it and feels much the same way we uh, much the same way as we do about it. He's he's likes it as a solution and uh, he's talked about some projects that they've done with it over at the Level 1 Tech area. So you, you'll, you'll find plenty of good information on Synology. It is a it is a good platform uh, for those of you looking at it. The the turnkey 
ease of use are all good selling points. Um, but as we said in the very beginning, if you're looking for the pure open storage, uh, open source everything, Synology um, does have some closed source components. So make sure you have that in your thought process and figure out where you set on that. But uh, easy use, thumbs up. Overall, still, I think it's a good product, and I still would recommend it to anyone, just like we said at the beginning. That's why we're doing a video on it. Uh, this was also not paid for or endorsed by Synology. If we were smarter business people, we would have reached out and been paid shills by them, but we're not. So, uh, Linode, thank yep. you for endorsing this. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. You know, that that's such a good way to do it. I Every time uh, someone sends me a laptop for review, I make sure it's being sponsored by somebody else. Yes. People don't get the wrong impression that I'm going to just like everything that's sent to me because... Um, I know this is going to happen one day and it hasn't happened yet, but someone sends me a laptop or a tablet or something and I hate it. <laughs> you know, I let you guys know that I hate it. But um, thankfully, that hasn't happened yet. I haven't been put in that situation. It's coming, but uh, Synology sent one to me. Uh, that's how, why I'm able to look at it. But they didn't tell me I needed to create content on it. Literally, they didn't. They're like, hey, just just play around with it. And that's it. They never contacted yeah. me ever again. Like, Never again, and it's been months. So they they have an um, interesting way yeah. of um, working with vendors. They're, they're a little bit different because yeah. sometimes it's almost and some some things that me and Jay both experience as creators. We turn down when they are like implicitly like, here's the thing, here's the script. Like there's people that say, "Will you read the script if you do our product?" To me and Jay are like, "No." No. Like, no, and yeah, some of the companies will ask for editorial uh, review prior to publish. We won't work yep. with me and Jay have policies that we've we, we've talked about, like how to publicly. We have our own statements on on how we do our ethics, but um, I always like to make this clear because people yeah. always want to know if this was was this paid for or endorsed. Because not, yeah. some people don't disclose that very well. Um, and the, the yeah, that was an, it was an incredibly impulsive last minute idea that we thought was a good idea. Yeah, we we were we were coming up with some show ideas and. And uh, this this is how this came to be. Th th throw this little errata at the end of the show here for those of you just behind the scenes curious when me and Jay sit down and uh, scratch out ideas and things like that. I just like threw Synology on there. So, all right. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Looking forward to hearing from you. So uh, hit our website for the feedback form. And, uh, you know, let us, we've been collecting all the questions. Don't worry, we're not ignoring you. For those of you we haven't replied to, uh, we are working up to a Q&A episode, which we'll announce at some point. And uh, we want to, We'll do Q&A for live stream. And, of course, people who can't make the live stream to listen to this in post and send us some of the questions. Uh, yep. we're, we're working on when that episode will be. But, you know, there's plenty of more future things coming. And also, thank you for those of you that suggested or had some of these questions about things like Synology and did ask this in the feedback. So if you do have some uh, product or something you want us to dive into a review, uh, please reach out to us. And uh, it, it, we love hearing some of the ideas that the community wants to know about. All right. Absolutely. Yep. This is Tom Lawrence and Jay LaCroix. All right. Thanks. See you guys next time. See ya.